0: Well it's great to be back here at Bethel. Um, I was trying to remember how many times i've I've been here I guess it's three or four times, maybe Tim um, something like that. so I feel right at home. you guys always welcome me so well uh, and i'm I'm really thrilled to be here with you this morning. Um, the choir uh, number we didn't confer um, about this uh, this morning, and the choir number was perfect with what. The Lord's laid on my heart, uh, trusting in the Lord and the mysteries of our relationship to God. Then uh, Pastor Tim uh, read from Psalm 46, and on on my way over here, I was coming across the bridge from Missouri, and the sun was really beautiful, and the clouds reflecting off the clouds, there was a lot of color, and I recited... Uh, a couple of psalms that I've known all my life by heart, and one of them was Psalm 46. In fact, that's the last one I recited aloud in my car as I was driving. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, not, it shouldn't surprise us when the Lord works all that out. Uh, it, it's really up to Him, um, and He knows exactly what He's doing. I'd like to ask you, oh, by the way, um, you, uh, have, you raised in your garden... Uh, literally a ton of food, right? Or just a few pounds shy of a ton, uh, if my math is correct. So that's really wonderful. You you guys are to be commended for all you're doing on behalf of the Lord and the ministry here. I'd like for you to turn in your Bible, if you will, to Luke chapter 9, beginning in the first verse. Uh, my, one of my pastors back when I was a young man, which was a long time ago, um, used to say he loved going to a church where he heard the rustle of leaves. So um, when you're turning your Bible, now these days I guess you, you flick on a button and, and press something and, and you can see your Bible on your... I still like the old-fashioned uh, uh, book called The Bible, don't you? Uh, Luke chapter 9, another thing I I like is to give people time to find the passage. You ever been to church and they announce the text and they immediately start reading before you have a chance to find it? By the time you get there, they're halfway through the the reading, so hopefully you've had enough time to get to the Gospel of Luke chapter 9. It says, "...and he called the twelve together and gave them the power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases." And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And whenever they do not receive you, When you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. Verse 6, and they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. Your church has been through a lot this past week, and uh, that's not uncommon Things happen that puzzle us, surprise us, take us uh, by surprise that sometimes even shock us, disturb us. I was thinking about that as I was preparing um, this message. And this passage really speaks to two kinds of perplexing situations with the Lord. First, a perplexing call. And second, a perplexing reception. So this morning, I want you to just think about when those times are or have been in your life when you have been perplexed by God and don't quite understand what he's up to. What is the message of Scripture to speak into our hearts when those things happen? I say I have the opportunity to teach often these days. And I say often to the classes that I teach, you know, we are like God. We are like God. He created us in His image. Imago Dei. But He is not like us. He is utterly other than us. And so in God there is great mystery And we shouldn't be surprised when we find ourselves perplexed by the circumstances that we experience in life. We're like God. He created us like himself. But he is not like us. No matter how we plumb the depths of Scripture and the truth that it uh, proclaims, no matter how long we live in his presence in the future as we look forward to someday for 10,000 years, We will never know God fully. He can't be known fully. He is not like us. But aren't you glad that we are like Him? Amen. There was a young farm boy in northern Wisconsin way back in the early part of the last century. He was converted to Christ at the age of 16. And at the age of 19, just three years later, he sensed that God was calling him to Denmark to preach. His parents were emigrants from Denmark, and so the Danish language was spoken in his home, and he was fluent in both English and Danish. And he sensed that God was sending him to Denmark, but he was perplexed a little bit Afraid, but somehow he thought God was sending him there. He had an eighth grade education, no experience, and with a little bit of counsel and mentoring by an older pastor, off he went to Denmark at the age of 19. It was a strange call, a perplexing call for him. Much like maybe this passage when we see in the very beginning, he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. I want you to think about those guys minding their own business. A year or so into their discipleship plan. And they're, called, they're being called to cast out demons, heal the sick, and preach the kingdom. Wait a minute, Jesus, are you sure? We're not ready yet. We don't want to do things like that. That sounds scary, difficult for us. This is strange. What are you really asking of us, Jesus? Maybe the call on your life isn't quite so complicated or quite so uh, robust. But God has a call on everybody's life in this room this morning. He is calling you to something. Jesus is asking you to serve Him in some way. And maybe that call or that request is calling on perplexed ears. You're not sure if you really have it. Have the gifts. You're not sure if you have the ability, the training, the courage to face whatever it is God's called you to face today. Well, you're in good company. These guys didn't know either. That young farm boy didn't know what he was getting into. He just was going to respond. And that's what God asks you to do. He just asks you to be available, to be willing, to be ready. He's going to provide all the other stuff. He just needs willingness, openness, availability. Well, the first thing Jesus told them was another thing that was kind of strange, I think. He told them, you better travel light. He said to them, take nothing for your journey. No staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and don't even have a second change of clothes. Don't take two tunics. Wait a minute, Jesus. Now you're calling us to cast out demons, heal the sick, preach the kingdom. We've only, uh, we're only a year into this, Learning process. You've been mentoring us for a while, but we're not ready. Now you're telling us we can't even take anything with us. Travel light. I used to backpack. When you take one look at me, you wonder, really? Uh, but I, I actually used to backpack and enjoyed it uh, on the Appalachian Trail, believe it or not. And we learned how to pack light because if you've ever done this, carry a big pack on your back for a week. Every little pound, every little ounce actually begins to, you begin to feel it after several days on the trail, really after about one day. <laughs> we used to even take our toothbrushes and, and cut the end off of them just to, just to take that, that extra little I'm, I'm I'm being honest. I mean, this was the guy that was teaching us how to do this. Every little ounce counted when we were preparing the backpack. When you look at the list of prohibitions that Jesus gave them, um, there are a couple of accounts of this story in different parts of the Gospels, and and the accounts vary a little bit in the details. Uh, In the first three synoptic Gospels, this account is given in various ways. In Mark, they're allowed to take sandals. (laughs) Um, In Matthew, and Luke, Jesus tells them not to take a staff for the journey, but go as they were, no staff. But someone, some of them were already using a stick, and we learned from Mark that if they were already using one, they could take it with them. So there are slight differences between the accounts in the gospel, and I think those slight differences, when we find those differences in the gospels, they just add to the credibility of the story. They're not just parroting the same account, and there are d- different variations on this, which I think makes the makes the, uh, the story even more trustworthy. So they were supposed to travel light. They weren't supposed to take things with them. There are specific prohibitions on things that they could take. There was also a kind of urgency about it. You got to be ready to go. Take whatever you need. Outside of the things that I've prohib- prohibited, Jesus was saying, but be ready to go. The overarching message or lesson from this is remove the encumbrances from your call, take away the things that distract from what God is saying to you. We live in an age of distractions, um, social media. Technology, I just have this up here. I'm not expecting a call, but I I have this up here so I can not keep you too long. We have kind of a transition between two services, so keeping an eye on the clock. But you know, we're all tempted to be distracted in the world that we live in. We hear messages coming at us uh, 24-7 from uh, the news sources that we listen to the internet, the phones. We are constantly in a state of being distracted. One of the things that I've tried to learn how to do is make the tools of technology my servant and not to become a servant of them. I think we have to be very careful about that. You have to really be diligent and make sure that the The things in your life aren't distracting you from your relationship to God and from hearing from him and knowing what he desires of you. You have to be careful about that. The second thing that Jesus was saying very clearly here, in verse 3 it says, and he said to them, take nothing for your your journey. But what he he didn't say, and you know, I've often wondered... You know, if, if you could, if we, we, try, we read between the lines a lot in Scripture, don't we? We, we sort of add in uh, some contours and details of the story. And I often wish that the writers would have written more. Because it seems like there's more to the story. And when I got to the end of John one time, I, I remember reading the, the last verse in John where it says, if we wrote down everything Jesus did and said... The world couldn't contain the books, so they had to severely edit what was written so that it could be preserved for us 2,000 years later, and we could open our Bibles and see it in print. So there's a lot there between the lines, but what Jesus was trying to communicate, no distractions, don't take things with you, was learn how to trust When we don't have things with us, when we don't have the distractions, when we don't have the crutches, we have to learn to depend on the Lord. And when we're facing perplexing circumstances, we need to trust in God. God often says to us, this is on a need-to-know basis, and you don't need to know, right? Abraham, just go. Well, where am I going, God? Don't worry about that. Just go. Right? He said to Moses, uh, speak. Well, God, I can't speak and I don't know what to say. Just go and speak. Well, what, how is that all going to work, God? Moses, trust me. It's going to work. I'm sending you. Joshua? Take the troops around Jericho, march, blow your trumpets. Well, how's that going to work, God? How are the walls going to fall from a sound? Have you seen the walls that are surrounding Jericho? God says, trust me, march around the city, blow your trumpets, and the walls will fall. And they did, outward. Gideon, I want you to take 300 men and face thousands, But God, what are you you doing? You've you've sifted my men out. I don't have enough men to face this army anymore. What are you talking about 300 men against this horde? God says, trust me. Take your 300 men. I will give you the victory. How? I'm not going to tell you how. Because that wouldn't require trust. David, see that nine-foot guy out there? Take five smooth stones with you. That's your only weapon. But God, how about a sword? How about armor that fits? No? Let's take the five stones. Army must have thought David was crazy. Well, here's this kid. He's about to be killed. Let's all watch him die. (laughs) Smart-aleck kid, arrogant kid, going out there to face this nine-foot... Behemoth with a sling and five stones? Trust. Why didn't I get the job? Trust. Why didn't I get the girl? Trust. What college should I go to? Trust. Why this illness now? Trust. Why this death now? Trust. Dependence. I'm I'm perplexed, God. I don't understand. This doesn't make sense. If I were in charge, I wouldn't do it this way. Have you ever said that to God? I don't think I've had the courage to say that to God, but you think that, don't you? This doesn't seem like a good way to do this, God. Trust. You trust God with your provision. That's what Jesus was saying to these men. You need to learn dependence. Don't take anything with you. Trust. He had already said to them, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you trust him, if you trust me, trust him. When we're puzzled by the things that come our way, we need to learn how to trust. Second thing Jesus says here, verse 5, if you notice, it says, and when wherever they, whenever, wherever, sorry, they do not receive you. When you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet. What did Jesus mean by that? I think he meant prepare for failure. Prepare to be disappointed. Prepare for the fact that God's ways aren't exactly like our ways. Remember, God's not like us. Prepare for failure. Prepare for disappointment. Prepare for pain. Prepare for hurt. But he's got you. Trust. But God, why didn't you explain all this to me and help me to understand? Because he's God and you're not. Job might have said to God, well, what's going on here, God? But he did say that for 38 chapters, 37 chapters along with his friends, what's going on? This doesn't make sense. Did God ever explain to Job exactly what had happened? Oh, Job, by the way, when he showed up in, in, in chapter 38, when God showed up and met with Job, did he say, Oh, Job, I, you know, sorry about all this. I had a contest with Satan in heaven and he targeted you and I went along with this to prove something. I, don't, I didn't see that in chapter 38. Did you? Job never knew in this life at least, why he had gone through what he did. What did God do when he showed up in chapter 38? He showed Job more of himself. He showed Job more of himself. Sometimes, when you trust, God shows you more of himself, and he builds your confidence and your trust when you see him. Prepare for failure. Failure. Shake it off. Shake the dust off your feet. Shake it off. I remember my coach used to say to me, Hey, Johnson, I'd do something bad on the, on the field, and, and I'd be frustrated with myself and ready to throw my helmet or do, do, do something like that. Immaturity um, of a teenage athlete. We've all seen it. My coach would show, see me throw my helmet or kick the dirt in disgust. at something I had done wrong. And he'd say, Shake it off, Johnson. Shake it off. Jesus says, shake off failure. Shake off the puzzle. Trust. Remember who you represent. I remember one time in a game that I, I played, my dad was watching, and afterwards he had seen, seen me lose my temper. And afterwards he said, You know, when you lose your temper out there, you're representing the family. You, you are a Johnson. <laughs> And Johnsons don't act that way. Remember who you represent. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Make the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. That's the instruction he gives to us, regardless of what we're feeling on the inside. Trust. Francis of Assisi once said, Preach the gospel, and when necessary, use words. Think about that. By the way, how's our farm, farm boy doing that went to Denmark? Well, uh, he went over there and he held meetings all aclo- uh, along the coastal villages of Denmark. And there was one particular person that be- became a huge opposition to him. It was a local tavern uh, um, owner. And the meetings that my grand- my, uh, this young boy was having, I gave it away, didn't I, my grandfather. Uh, the meetings that this young boy was having a young man was having um, were having such a great effect that the townspeople were going to the meetings and not frequenting the tavern of the local uh, tavern owner. And so he said, uh, he decided to prefer charges against my grandfather, and he um, accused him of all kinds of crimes. He was hauled into the local uh, police station to be examined. And they finally found, after all kinds of turmoil and trouble, that uh, none of the things that he had been accused of were true. And he actually, actually took a dispensation from the Prime Minister of Denmark to exonerate him of all charges. And somebody who's over there doing research on this sent me a copy of that letter from the Prime Minister of Denmark exonerating my grandfather. He had a lot of trouble, a lot of opposition. But God performed so mightily in those meetings that Whole churches were established as a result. So much so that a man in Denmark is writing the story of those revival meetings and contacted me a couple of years ago for information about my grandfather, and I learned things I never knew about the opposition that he faced. Prepare for failure. The news is going viral about Jesus. Um, As you see from this passage, when Herod got word that people were getting healed and demons being cast out, he was very perplexed. Jesus' stories and the stories of the disciples and healing and casting out demons was going viral. It was all over social media, whatever social media was then. And he was told that this Jesus of Nazareth, son of a carpenter, from an utterly insignificant gathering of houses on a hill of thorn bushes and rocks that he could heal anyone of their diseases and he sent men out in his name to heal. He could preach for hours and he had even raised the dead. Who was this guy? Was he John back from the dead who Herod had killed? Was it John the Baptist coming back to haunt him? Was, who was this guy? Was he a prophet? Was he like Elijah. Herod was worried. He was perplexed. He didn't know what to think. With all his money and all his power, he was sleepless at night, wondering, I beheaded John. Who is this of whom I hear such things? I want to see him. Verse 9. People outside of the kingdom of God are in a perpetual state of perplexity about God and about Christ. Just look at your news feed today, the kind of culture that we live in, the opposition against the gospel. They live their lives in a perpetual state of perplexity, ignoring the Lord Jesus Christ outside the kingdom of God and wondering, who is this? Who am I? Why am I here? What is the purpose of life? What lies after death? Who is God? Can I know him for myself? What about my guilt and my sins? Where can I find forgiveness? What must I do to be saved? That's what people are saying. They may not say it in those words, but that's what they're sensing and feeling. They're puzzled by all of this, and their reaction to that is hostility. That's the kind of culture that we live in. Those are the people that we are around, much like. Era, there's kind of a perpetual perplexity about the faith and that's why we're under so much attack and assault and opposition today in the church by our culture things are happening so fast that make your head spin in terms of change and, and the, the perplexity and the, and the opposition that we're feeling it's just going to get worse I feel for the young people that are coming in the next generation in my grandchildren's age who knows what the world's going to look like? Has God given us all the answers? Has he said yet? Yeah, well, don't worry about it. I- exactly 30 years from now, Jesus is coming back and he's going to fix all this. No, we don't get that information. He just says, trust, be perplexed, recognize that things are, are, uh, are difficult to understand, but trust in me. I've got this. That's what he's saying. I'm sovereign. I'm on the throne. Everything is okay. Okay. Learn to trust. Learn to depend. We don't live in a state of perpetual perplexity. We have all the information we need right here. Trouble is, most of us don't know it very well. We're too distracted, maybe, to read and study and learn what God has already said. Inside the kingdom of God lie the answers. Come inside. Christians are still saying something fresh. The church is still proclaiming a good word. God reigns. He is sovereign. And the blessed place to be is under the reign of the grace of Jesus Christ, the Good Shepherd. Abundant life and salvation are found here in the church, in the kingdom of God. I, 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 I'm constantly or consistently puzzled by Why we look so down and why we look so frustrated and afraid. Why we're so puzzled and perplexed. Why are Christians streaming in and out of therapist's office? What's going on? We are perpetually clear on who God is and how to live under His sovereignty. And it's the most blessed place to be. Jesus died for us. He gave His life for us. He promises abundant life and he gives it to us. Does he give us all the answers? Does he tell us what's going to happen? No. He says, travel light, trust, and prepare for perplexing things that come along. When my grandfather completed his mission in Denmark, he came home, he fell in love, he got married and he had a baby boy. That baby boy was my dad. Then they had another little baby boy, about three years younger than my dad. And that little boy contracted rheumatic fever at the age of two and a half. Those days, rheumatic fever was a death sentence. And so it was for little Arlo, my dad's little brother, his baby brother. A few months ago, I came across, as I was going through old memorabilia, but both my dad and my mother are gone. I've become somehow, by default, the family archivist, I guess, so I have all these papers and things from my family. came across a little baby book. I thought, well, that's interesting, kind of weathered and, and worn, sort of a, a felt or, or uh, leatherette cover. I began to look through the baby book. And it was a baby book of little Arlo, written by my grandmother, in her own unmistakable handwriting that I had seen many times all my life in letters that she had written to me. And the typical things, you know, first teeth, first timey walks, and uh, the, the cars of congratulations and all pasted in the beginning of the book. And I began to turn the leaves of this baby book. And all of a sudden, everything changed. And the back pages of this baby book were articles about... His illness. My grandfather was, a, by that time, a local pastor. And so in that small town, they published articles about this little baby's illness, the pastor's son. And then there were written cards of sympathy, get well cards. And then in my grandmother's handwriting, she wrote the whole story what happened every single day in the last week of his life. What his last... Wordsworth, little Arlo, two and a half years old. And then he turned over to the last page of the baby book, and in my grandmother's handwriting, only said this one thing on that last page The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. She didn't understand that tragedy. She grieved him the rest of her life. She lived to be 96 years old. And she would tell us stories about little Arlo. She never got over her grief fully. But she was godly enough and trusting enough to be able to say, even in the middle of her grief, at that very moment when he passed away, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's faith that's trust that's the right spirit perfect clarity about who God is who Christ is even though there was tremendous perplexity and puzzlement about why she had to lose her little boy where are you today what's your level of trust you're traveling late. Are you carrying a lot of distractions with you? You're listening to a lot of voices that don't tell you the truth, and not listening to the voice of the Lord, which is only truth. Where are you today? What's God calling you to do? What's He calling you to bear? What's He calling you to experience? How is He calling on you to trust? Need to know basis. God knows exactly what we need to know and why we need to know it. And that's enough. It's about trust, confidence in Him. My grandfather died suddenly of a heart attack at 57. They were sitting up in bed one morning, my grandmother and grandfather. He was pastoring a church, had been there for about three years at that point. Prime of his ministry, 57 years old. They we were talking about the day, making plans, sitting up in bed. And all of a sudden, his voice was silent. It was slumped over. My grandmother called out the window to the neighbors to call 911. They didn't have 911 back then, but call the rescue squad as she used to call it. And so for the rest of her life, for, from the time she was 57 until 96, She lived with not only the grief of the loss of her little baby boy, but the loss of her husband. And her only son that was left, my dad, went to the mission field at a time in history when we didn't come back but every five years and there was no way to communicate, no email, no internet, no Skype. And in reading through her journals and reading the Bible studies that she led among women in her church, you see somebody who was trusting. Just the godly trust in the sovereignty of God in spite of all that she had suffered. Such a spirit of beauty and happiness and joy. She had the greatest laugh. She would love to laugh and tease you when we were kids because she trusted in her father. and She knew everything would all be sorted out one day. The whys and all of that would be answered just by the presence of God you have that kind of faith? You do. Because faith is, can be tiny like a mustard seed. God can use that tiny little faith to make you a person that trusts to that degree. Whatever God has called you to face, experience. Whatever he's called you to do, he will equip you. You're going to be fine. You're going to be all right. Trust. Travel light. Trust. And be clear on who your father is. Let's pray. Father, there's no way of knowing, certainly for us, you do, how much perplexity and struggle is going on even in this room today. We thank you, Father, that you have taught us to trust. And Jesus, as he sent his disciples out on on a strange mission, they too trusted him. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, Jesus said to them. Teach us to trust. Help us to hear your call. We know that you will help us bear whatever we need to bear, experience whatever we need to experience. It's going to be okay because when we're in your loving embrace, in your loving arms. Thank you for that truth. In Jesus name.